1: The sky, it's not just a call, it's a warning.
0: long before you've nothing left
1: i don't care what happens to me it's only going to get worse for you
2: whoa
0: take it easy sweetheart hear everything they say ancient maybe we're not so different who are you under there
2: I'm Vengeance. What's? Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. Now, these next two episodes are going to be a little different, and I'm super excited to say that my love and passion has collided with my other love and passion. I'm going to be profiling the Batman and the Riddler with a very special guest, an expert in his field, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. So, special mystery guest, please reveal and introduce yourself.
1: Umberto Gonzalez, 20-year veteran of fanboy journalism, founder of Heroic Hollywood, and currently covering the fanboy beat for the And I also happen to be Rafi's dad and Laura's fiance.
2: Yes, the two most important jobs at the end there, right? <laughs> yeah. So the Batman. I've been really excited to talk to you about this. Now, The Batman, for those of you who don't know, the movie for me is a mashup. Of the Zodiac 7, Red Dragon, Hannibal Lecter. There's nods to all of those movies in there. All those iconic movies, I should say. It's much more a psychological thriller and a detective story than anything else, in my view. So I was really excited to see the movie with you. and We both went off to Warner Brothers and we went on the lot on February the 10th to watch this movie. Yes. What did did you think about it? Well, that was an adventure in itself, wasn't it?
1: Oh, my God, yes. It was like the strictest COVID. uh, We had to pass a COVID test on site, and I was scared that we wouldn't. You you never know. Once we cleared that hurdle, we were in the Stephen J. Ross Theatre, the movie Unfurled, and the rest is history.
2: It was super cool. I mean, going up there, seeing it for the first time, and, it, yeah, it was very special for us. It was our second outing out, having had Raffi. so to be out in the world, but to be able to see such an iconic movie. And oh, we also God, yes. had the pleasure of listening to Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz and Matt Reeves, and also one of the producers was there. Dylan Clark. Yeah, so an amazing experience in and of itself. And so, spoiler alert! We should do that, shouldn't we?
1: Oh, de- definitely. So, yes, we are going to be talking spoilers of the movie. Not like big plot points, but we are going to walk through the plot. Laura's got some special surprises for you guys, also as well. Something that I'm personally looking forward to. But yes, spoiler warning. I recommend you see the movie first before listening to this episode.
2: Absolutely. And full disclosure, I've seen the movie twice now. I I saw it it in Burbank, and then I was really lucky to go and see it again at the IMAX. And wow. I mean, it's a long movie, let me say that. Two
1: hours Uh, and 57
2: minutes. There we go. And... Yeah, it was well worth it. And I guess let's thumbnail the movie and just say a little bit about exactly what you see in the movie, although not all the details. So it's basically the main plot points are there's a sadistic, psychopathic serial killer who is targeting influential men in Gotham and he's torturing and killing them. He leaves a trail of cryptic clues. Well, he actually leaves ciphers And it's a strong nod to the Zodiac in that respect. And he leaves messages specifically for the Batman and draws him in. But there are also parallels to many modern day issues. So police corruption, abuse of power, unrest, trauma. There's a lot going on. But before we get into some of that, I want to pick your brains about Robert Pattinson because... This movie's been five years in the making, and I remember when he was cast, you had grave reservations about him. Yes, I did. Go on, tell us about that.
1: I mean, I've been living with the movie for five years because my job, uh, yeah, I broke the role of Alfred with uh, Andy Serkis, and I also broke the plot of the movie, basically confirming that this movie takes place during the sophomore year of Bruce Wayne's career as the Cape Crusader. But Robert Pattinson at first, I didn't see that casting coming. I, like sources told me, "Hey, Robert Pattinson." I never even fathomed that it could be possible. So my own ego wouldn't accept it. Basically, I had issue because I didn't never see any of the Twilight movies to be perfectly honest. But I think I didn't think being a 30 year Batman fan as I have been that he had the physicality on the level of, say, a Ben Affleck, because, you know, Bruce Wayne is about 6'3", 225 pounds, and Robert Pattinson, he is tall, After like he's, he's like 6'1", 6'2", but I didn't think he had the physicality or the violence inside of him, and boy, was I wrong. And uh, the opening scene of the movie squashed all of that. And I was sold after the, I mean, you've probably seen in the trailers, the, I'm vengeance. That scene, that scene got rid of all my reservations as him as the Batman, and quite frankly, I feel, having seen all of the movies theatrically since the first Michael Keaton movie, also broke that, that he's coming back in the flash, the biggest scoop of my career. But Robert Pattinson, in my opinion, portrayed and gave the most accurate, consistent comic portrayal of the Dark Knight detective we have ever seen committed to film. Because for 30 years, Batman has always been... A supporting character in his own movie. Like in the first movie, it was all about Jack Nicholson as the Joker and, and Michael Keaton was basically a supporting character. For once, now, and this is so refreshing, the movie's so grounded, just like it is in the comic books, but we get to see Batman as a detective. He's an active protagonist in his own movie for the first time, actively investigating, doing what it is he does best. You know, and it's the most complete portrayal of the Dark Knight detective. I said that, but a little history for you guys. In the late 60s, I'm pretty sure you knew of the Batman TV show with Adam West. That kind of like soured the brand and did a lot of damage. After that show went off the air, and then in the early 70s, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams reinvigorated Batman in the comics. And then in 86, Frank Miller took the work of Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams and took it to another level with The Dark Knight Returns. And then two, three years later, followed that up with Batman Year One, which this movie heavily lifts from as a source material. And Matt Reeves personally said, yeah, he was inspired by Year One, The Long Halloween. So I've been reading Batman. I've been reading Batman for more than 30 years, but in the 80s, yeah. So I was put on to The Dark Knight and then I was put on to Ten Nights of the Beast, which you see I have here collected. And then Batman Year One. So the late 80s to me was... Pete Batman in terms of storytelling, in terms of bringing him back to his roots as the Dark Knight detective. And this movie nails that completely. You get to see the Dark Knight detective the way you've never seen him before. Sure, the movie's had glimpses or something of him solving something in the cave, but we get to see him again once as an active protagonist out in the field with the police, investigating, looking for leads, looking for little clues that make him unique and make him the world's greatest detective. I'm pretty sure some Sherlock Holmes fans would disagree with me on that one, but Bruce is the world's greatest detective.
2: Yes, this is where you first really see him in his detective role. But before I go into that, I just want to say, I remember you really wanting to chase down the casting for the Batman. That was, you were on a mission. And I remember you coming to collect me from LAX. And oh. the scoop, it had already just, the cat was out of the bag and you were just so gutted that you'd missed that scoop. And when it was Robert Pattinson, you were just absolutely shocked because there were so many people that were on your radar, but just not him.
1: He wasn't on my radar. It came down between, I mean, after the fact, it came down between him and uh, Nicholas Holt, who you've seen in a, a lot of things. But um, yeah, no, it was Pattinson. Uh, colleague Justin Kroll at Deadline broke that I think one of the biggest stories of his career I congratulate him and stuff but it was my own fault that and it was told to me you should look into Robert Pattinson you should look into Robert Pattinson no I I just didn't buy it so but I also learned one of the greatest lessons of my journalism career that what I think doesn't matter okay or in terms of perception or casting because anything's possible so I I learned to get out of what my beliefs are my thing, like what I think a Batman should be or what I think a role should be, and it's it's actually helped, helped me in my career. But I came back and got offered, which is a close second, you know, so that was cool. But uh, the casting of the movie is great. Jeffrey Wright as, as Jim Gordon is incredible. Zoe Kravitz as Selina Kyle is great. Peter Sarsgaard, who I've known for over 20 years, plays a district attorney in this movie. He's great. He's great in everything. He's always, he's always good. And, of course, Paul Dano as the Riddler. Like the work that he's done in Escape from the oh, Netherlands. I'm Danimora. glad you mentioned
2: that. Yes, he was amazing in that with Patricia Arquette, and he is incredible in the Batman as well. And of course, Colin Farrell, who is amazing. Oh it's my the God, Penguin.
1: he's unrecognizable. You won't recognize But Paul Dano also stood out to me in The Prisoner with Hugh Jackman a while back. So, But Dano, he brought his hate game to the role. But again, he was. The villain, but not the the active protagonist like a lot of the previous films had with their villains. Batman is the active protagonist, actively seeking clues to who this guy is, what's his next kill, solving his riddles. And it's just refreshing and wonderful to see uh, such a grounded, realistic take, just like the comics. Yeah, and I'm glad you said
2: that. I mean, it is very grounded. It is realistic. And I hadn't really thought about the fact that the Batman has never really been the main character in his own movie. It's always been about the other characters characters. But I do think there's something in this movie and talking about the profiling of Batman and the Riddler, where the two are mirroring each other. And I'm going to tell you a lot more about that when we get into actually the profile of the Batman and Bruce Wayne and the profile of the Riddler. I think they're really interesting characters and what's been done. And I also just want to say something about the Batman, not just being iconic, but what Robin Pattinson did with the voice. Because really, there's not much you can do with the Batman, with the mask and, you know, he's wearing so much clobber, like the, the suit that he puts on. But the voice really plays a key role across the movie. And it was really interesting hearing Robert Pattinson talk about how he developed the Batman, the actual voice.
1: You can feel when it feels right. You can't, it, like, there's something you put the suit on and you have to speak in a certain way. I just thought, because everyone does this kind of gruff, gravelly thing, I'm like, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to go really w- w- whispery. I tried to do it for the first like two weeks, and it just looked absolutely atrocious. And they, kept, they told me to stop. That's what um, Christian Bale did on Batman Begins as well. And if you listen to the
2: first Batman Begins teaser trailer, you can hear the original voice. I only found this out a couple of weeks ago. When he says, I'm vengeance, you did the impression very well, actually. <laughs> there was also a line that the Batman signal isn't a signal. It's actually a warning. That really got to me. I mean, it sets the tone, doesn't it? But the voice is really iconic across the whole movie. And also the music too. The music really sets the tone. And I'm going to talk a bit about the opening scene Um, It's creepometer factor is very high in my (laughs) books and I've seen a lot of shit across my career. (laughs) But the way that it, it really is this psychological thriller and you get into that right from the start. But the music's amazing. I mean, Ave Maria is playing across that opening scene and it comes back throughout the movie at key scenes as a nod back to what happened to Bruce Wayne's mother and father when they were killed. And also Nirvana, Never mind. there's something in the way. My goodness, that music, the whole way across, it, it surprised me actually that Matt Reeves went for that. But I did hear him say that he was listening to Nirvana at the time that he was writing, but that album Nevermind is amazing. And I thought that that music worked incredibly well. And then of course, the other music, the scores done by-
1: Michael Giacchino, Academy What did of War- you think of that? His score was very haunting. It was like almost a character in the movie. And it complemented the cinematography, the production design, the set design, the costume design. The batsuit's suit's pretty damn cool. The aim of these movies, I think, in this upcoming trilogy, because I'm pretty sure they're going to make another two with Reeves, is to sh- basically show, by the end, I think, of the third film, is, Pattinson's going to be the Batman we all know and love. So I guess the next decade or so, as these movies come out, will show him learning his craft, getting better, getting into his Bruce Wayne persona, getting better armor, getting better gear. Because the Batman, like Iron Man, Batman's always tinkering with his gear, with his suit, with his toys, his Batmobile, his Batbike. And you, there's a lot of that in here. But a lot that sticks out to me having revisited Batman Year One in graphic novel form. There was a lot of, like, for example, Bruce out in the daytime. He wore, you know, he was on his bike with his helmet. Survey, you know doing surveillance during the day and that's that's not to, to year one because he did that in year one but yeah they this is again a year two movie and you know, and i've also found it interesting the use of his he has these special goggles made that he uses in these the the goggles that he uses so he could record everything so he could study it later in the back cave that's very cool but
2: well, they're like contact lenses yes. aren't they? that he wears but actually it's not massively high tech you know in terms of what he builds and what he creates and this is where you've got some of the mirroring across the Batman and the Riddler. They both create, they both invent, but you see Bruce Wayne spending a lot of time in sort of the, it's not even a Batcave, it's like a an underground warehouse or basement, isn't it? Where he's got all bits and pieces of bikes and he builds his own car. It's like a kit car rather than yes. a Batmobile, right?
1: Correct, yeah. I mean, eventually he outsources the production of the Batmobile, but... For now, since he's so insular in his world, he does it all. He fine tunes his bike. He, he's his own mechanic. He's his own clothier, created his own suit. It's interesting to see. And I'm, I, like, I actually like when he's in the cave and working. It's refreshing to see that. He's constantly working, constantly solving, going over the, the feed from his contact lenses, You know, like the hard drive and his contact lenses, reviewing the footage, studying, coming up with angles. And he's like dogmatic in his approach into how he saw it. I mean, this is all he does. So that's all, also reminiscent of the comics, like Batman early on in his career, it was all about being Batman and the movie touched that too. Bruce Wayne's just a mask he wears. It's just something, is he just happens to be a Wayne, doesn't care about the family name or the business. He just wants to be Batman 24 seven. And that's a, that's a nod to the comics as well, early on in his career, when he was practically singularly focused and obsessive about solving crimes, yeah.
2: And you have to be. And that's where it's spot on in terms of analysing and profiling crime. I mean, we're sat in the intelligence cell. And if I ask Umberto to describe what's behind me in terms of a whiteboard and lots of things that are written up on it and post-it notes and you have to be obsessive. And again, that's what the Batman and the Riddler have in common. They spend a lot of time, both of them, in their own work warehouses, creating devices, reviewing, analyzing, assessing, documenting, using notebooks, and yes, that this is some of the nod to the profile that I'm doing of both of them. Now, you said something interesting there, Umberto, as well. You mentioned that Bruce Wayne was the mask that he wore, where I would put it that actually the Batman, that's the mask that he wears. So you tell me about why Bruce Wayne, as you see it, that that's a mask rather than the Batman. Who is the real person is it the Batman or is it Bruce Wayne? Or do you see them as one and one and the same?
1: I see them one and the same, but again, he's only in the second year of his career. He's singularly focused on his career and not on the activities of Bruce Wayne. I mean, he's kind of like Emo of sorts. He's kind of inselish if you think about it. Like in the comics, Bruce Wayne, the older Bruce Wayne is, you know, handsome, well put together. This one, just like year one, he's a bit disheveled. His hair is a bit of a frazzled mess. He's got dirty fingernails and stuff. He keeps his eye makeup on inside the cave. Basically, as he sets up in the beginning of the movie, in one of my favorite scenes, I'm vengeance. Okay? And what's interesting to me about the movie is, as it goes along, yes, he's vengeance in the movie, but then he becomes Batman, a Batman of the people by the end. But it's a nod to the comics. So to answer your question... Yes, he's Bat he is Bruce Wayne, of course. He was born he didn't come out the Cape Crusader when he was born when Martha gave birth to him. No. He became Batman. His his singular focus up until that point of his life is to be Batman. And I think by the end he's comfortable trying to be Bruce Wayne again. But because he's so singularly focused, he's Batman. And Bruce Wayne is the mask he wears during the day to protect his activities.
2: Oh, it's very interesting. I see it the other way around, and I'm going to explain why. Not now, though, but as we go (laughs) along. I'm not going to give everything away up front, but I do think there's something about the evolution of him. And given that he witnessed something so brutal and so violent, both his parents being killed in front of him at a very young age, I see the young Bruce Wayne, I see trauma there. And I see that when he puts the Batman mask on and when he puts the suit on, he then becomes somebody else. And that happens a lot, actually, with trauma. It gets projected somewhere else. You get distracted by other things and then you can turn into a fixer trying to fix problems. And that makes you feel better. And particularly in as this character, he's exacting Pain and vengeance on others. And that makes him feel more powerful and the pain that's in his mind, that goes away as it's been projected elsewhere. So I'm going to come back to that. I think it's very interesting that we see it differently. And again, my listeners, you might have your own view, but being a trauma expert, I think that there are some threads there around trauma with both the Batman, Bruce Wayne, and also with the Riddler. So the parallels, the mirrors that I was seeing, and you can decide where you land with my profile of those characters. Berto knows them far better than I do. But of course, this is the next iteration. And talking of comic book nerds, I mean, Matt Reeves said that he read all the comics while across our house we have so many comics we've and we've got batman everywhere we've got batman in the intelligence cell with various figurines and statues that we've got here up on the wall as well in the hallway we've got batman comics and we've also got a rather lovely batman picture as well mr gonzalez
1: yes for all your listeners laura when we were dating early on for christmas gave me alex ross's scars which is the iconic painting of Bruce Wayne half naked taking off his suit and you see all the accumulation of the scars on the back of his triceps, his back. You can see it on my Instagram account at Umberto Gonzalez or at Alex Ross, the artist. But you can see the scars that he's accumulated over the years and it's, there's a nod to that in the movie. You've seen in the trailer like when he's walking up the steps of cameras on his back You could, and he's only in the second year as Batman and you see a scar or two as an homage I don't know if it's an homage to the Alex Ross painting but it's the beginning you know it's kind of alarming that the second year of his career he's already got this scarring and he's gonna be Batman for at least another 20 years but in terms of comics yes Matt Reeves was drawn by The Long Halloween Dark Victory Robert Pattinson as well Batman Year One Batman Damned was a big influence on Robert Pattinson and that was drawn by my favorite Batman artist of the moment, Lee Bermeo. I just bought a bunch of detective comics. The variant covers just of him. But I will say this, and that's something I think you should, your listeners should listen to as well. There's an incredible comic right now, or it's the second issue just dropped. It's called Batman the Night. It's basically, and it's never been done before, and it's amazing that it's finally happening now after 80 years, where... The storyline is ten issues. They're up to the second issue and they take you from when Bruce's parents is killed, like the aftermath, what happens, to his crusade. He leaves for Paris and basically he begins his training. So the, the the whole series is based around his training to become Batman. He hasn't he doesn't have the caper cow yet. He's Bruce Wayne. But you see a lot of the psychology that he's going through and his commitment to his mission. To become the best, he has to learn from the best, even from criminals and stuff. So I highly recommend it. It's up there. It's one of the best comics I'm reading so far this year. I I eagerly look forward to each issue, and the, the first two are just amazing.
2: Yes, we're going back to the scars. I think it's an interesting nod that we do see in the movie... Bruce Wayne's back. But the movie itself, I mean, there are many fight scenes in it, and there's a lot of physicality. I mean, a lot of street fighting and down and dirty stuff, isn't there? There's not much about superpowers, and that's why you say it's very grounded. But before we get into some of that that's about the fight scenes and so on, I wanted to just quickly talk about the opening scene, or actually just to mention that there are in this movie, six crime scenes for me to assess in terms of the behaviour, the behavioural analysis, in terms of looking at the police investigation and the Batman interjecting, and not interjecting himself, but coming at the invitation of Lieutenant Gordon. And he's actually in the crime scene, each crime scene. So there are six of them. And I'm not going to go through each of them in detail because I don't want to spoil the movie completely for all of you who may not have seen it, but I do recommend that you go and watch it. But the opening scene, as I mentioned, is you start with the classical music, Ave Maria night vision goggles, somebody looking at a building that's quite elaborate and beautiful and we're not really sure who the target is but there are children playing and you don't really know what's going to happen other than then the camera pans to a skylight and the next minute we're in one of the rooms with the then mayor, Don Mitchell Jr., watching himself on TV. There's an election that's ongoing in Gotham City and then you hear this breathing the whole way throughout. And that the breathing is from the very first opening of the movie. And then you see this shadowy figure with a mask on, and you just see the two eyes. And it's really eerie and creepy. I mean, people the second time round, when I watched it, there weren't many of us in the movie theatre, because it was a confidential, private, sneaky-beaky screenings. <laughs> sneaky-beaky. Sneaky-beaky, secret <laughs> squirrel. But people audibly jumped. I mean, they were really taken aback. That's how creepy some of this stuff is, and it's very well done. And then what unfolds is a very brutal crime. I mean, this is dark. This is very psychologically oriented. Matt Reeves has really gone in because he's studied Mindhunter and profiling, He's analysed, you know, what makes something creepy and taken certain things from different films. But what we understand, or what I understand about the perpetrator is it's somebody who is pre-planned, premeditated, organised, understands his target. He's chosen this individual for a particular reason at a particular time. The rest of his family have now gone out. He hits him over the head three times, and he hits him with such force that the blunt instrument he uses flies out of his hands. He then goes and gets the instrument, which we learn is a carpet. It's an instrument that's used to put carpet down and pull it up. And then we next see him with duct tape. So we know he's brought things to the crime scene, which also says that he's organized, pre-planned and premeditated. And then he's using the masking tape, and that's as much as we see. We don't see anything more until a scene afterwards where we go back into the crime scene and we understand what he did. But the duct tape has been wrapped around the, the mayor's head, who's deceased. No more lies is written on his mouth and a thumb has been cut off and a thumb whilst he was alive. So this is really gruesome stuff. It's torture as well. This individual has enjoyed doing what he does. It's not just about function and purpose. This is expressive of him, and he's left a card for the Batman and a cipher. So really planned, premeditated, but make no mistake, this is very violent, very brutal. And just from that crime scene analysis, you will know if you're a behavioural analyst, that this is somebody who needs to be caught before he does it again. And you get the sense that he is only just getting started. And not just because it's the beginning of a movie. Five other crimes unfold, but the crime scene tells you everything about this is somebody who enjoys doing what he's doing, and this isn't the person, this isn't the perpetrator's first offence. So that's a lot to dive into, but that's the detail of the crimes that have been committed and Matt Reeves and others have done their homework.
1: Oh, I agree, for sure. Like I said, we get to see him as the Dark Knight detective. This movie, I feel, is a true crime film in the likes of the others you mentioned, like Seven, Red Dragon, and Zodiac, that just happens to have a costume vigilante in it. I don't consider it a superhero movie. I consider it a psychological crime thriller that has a costume vigilante in it, which is what this Batman movie is. Reeves also mentioned that what we're seeing in his version of the grounded movies is how these characters become the iconic IP that we know, meaning intellectual property. So yeah, he's the Riddler, not like his name is Edward Nigma. Uh, and yes, he's the Riddler, but the Riddler we all know and love with like all the question marks, the suits, the flashiness, and stuff. Like you see the beginnings of this the same way you see the beginnings of Bruce Wayne as Batman in his second year. So. Lena Kyle before she becomes Catwoman when she's trying to figure out where her friend is. And the same thing with Gordon before he becomes a commissioner eventually. But yeah, no, the, the, it, it's eerie. and It's up there with Seven in terms of disgusting crime scenes, for sure.
2: Disgusting crime scenes and also showing that people can do terrible things if pushed. And if your buttons are pushed, then terrible things can happen and decisions, bad decisions can be made. So the next crime that is committed is against the commissioner, who the commissioner of the police, who we see coming into the crime scene, the mayor's crime scene, who's being killed, and we learn that he's victim number two. And it only gets worse from there. So each crime tends to get, as we know, violence escalates when it's on a continuum. Each crime is that we see unfolding is worse than the one that went before, but they're all very sadistic, and you know this. You don't go and watch this movie without that kind of caveat to it, because you don't see every act that happens, and some of it is left to the imagination, which, as we know, is oftentimes worse what you imagine something to be. But there is one crime scene, and there is one of intended target: the perpetrator, who we know is the Riddler. He didn't get right. He didn't do his homework and somebody else ends up being harmed because of that. So there are these moments of where we see recklessness because he gets so into what he's doing. And this is very much a modern day take on the Riddler because we see social media being used. We see videos, live streams. You know, he wants to make things go viral. And there is a nod to incel type behavior which, again, is very interesting. It's not necessarily in the big acts that you feel the violence. It's in his smaller, quieter behaviours, actually, that you feel the insidiousness and the dangerousness of who the Riddler really is. And, of course, it's all about, well, my listeners won't know this, but the whole movie, there's a theme of unmasking. So not just vengeance, but an unmasking of the Batman, an unmasking of the Riddler, an unmasking of police corruption, of abuse of power. And that goes throughout the whole movie. So there's some very powerful themes indeed. And in fact, the last victim is Gotham City itself. And I think that's a very clever nod to some present day things that are going on, which incidentally, Matt Reeves says, that wasn't Intended, but actually so many of the themes that play out in the movie are just so relevant present day. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, someone at the Q&A asked him about Black Lives Matter and police brutality and all that. And yeah, they were making the movie in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, this this movie was supposed to be out a year ago. They faced a couple of starts and then they had a couple of COVID cases. They had to shut down a couple of times. I mean, Robert Pattinson himself caught COVID, so they were shut down for about a week or two. But yeah, no, it's, I feel the Riddler is just like Evan Spacey's character in Seven, basically, who like this meticulous killer who leaves behind ciphers and clues for the police. And it's like a game to him as well. But basically, not to spoil it, but he, the police brings him what he wants, ultimately. Like he keeps saying, bring him into the light. I think the intended victim that he had, I think victim number five, before...
2: That's right, yes. And bringing them into the light, well, or bringing him into the light, I should say. And you mentioned the police, but it's actually the Riddler is targeting the Batman. That's who he intentionally draws in. And I think that's a very clever play, actually, as sometimes the person who's investigating, well, you can end up with discovering some very personal things, and it is very much the Batman doesn't realize a lot of it is going to go full circle. And I'm not going to say anything more because I don't want to totally ruin it or spoil it for anybody else. But I think there's some very interesting arcs across the movie itself. So let's talk quickly about Selina as... Well, she's not Catwoman because this is a nod to, but say a little bit about Selina and um, her power in the movie.
1: Basically... It's a nod to Frank Miller's Year One, where she's working as a waitress in, in one of Carmine Falcone's nightclubs. There's a relationship between those two, not a intimate one, but they have a previous relationship that I won't spoil. The movie will explain it. And she's trying to look for a friend, and she infiltrates this mob, but she's also someone who could take care of herself. Like Zoe, Zoe, Zoe Kravitz. Is about 5'1, five 5'2, five my sister's eye. But she she fights pretty damn well in the movie and takes out a lot of bad guys and perpetrators. Zoe's one of the standouts of the movie, along with Zoe and Colin Farrell did it for me. But it's interesting to see the beginnings of her as, as, as a cat burglar as well. Like sorry, she breaks into the mayor's office. Not the mayor who was killed in the beginning of the movie. To retrieve something, and that's when she has her first run in with Batman because he was there looking for something as well. They get into a sort of fisticuff altercation, a fight, and basically, they do, this, they do this tap dance that they've been doing in the comics for years. Like doing it, uh, Tom King has a series called Batman Catwoman that that's all they do is dance with each other and stuff. I'm behind there on it a bit, but you see a lot of that in the movie as well. Will they, won't they, will they consummate the relationship? Will, will they not? Are they into each other? So it's like, but she brings. I feel she brings out his humanity and then he becomes protective of her and there's a, a big scene in the movie you don't want to, when she's about to avenge her friend and herself quite frankly, she has a gun she's about to commit murder, Bruce, what does Bruce do? He takes the gun and like, don't do that you don't want to pay for the rest of your life for that or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. I I forgot what the line was, Uh, but yeah.
2: Yeah, he says, as the Batman, you call him Bruce, but I call him the Batman when he's got his mask on. He says, don't do something that you'll regret for the rest of your life. And she says, I have nine lives. So there's the nod to being Catwoman. I've been trying to reach you. There's latest.
0: It's all about the Waynes. If we don't stand up, no one will.
1: You
0: got a
2: lot of cats. Never think about straight. <laughs> the bat and the cat. It's
0: got a
1: nice ring. You new friend of yours. I'm not so sure.
2: But yes, you see him vulnerable in a couple of moments, which again is something that we haven't really seen with the Batman before. And I think Robert Pattinson plays the emotionality very well, particularly given that he's half-masked. But I think the interesting uh, mirrors between the Batman and Selina is that she uses her vulnerability as her power, and he sees vulnerability as weakness. So there's that interesting arc, I think. A lot of people do think vulnerability is a weakness, but actually it can be your biggest strength. That's one of the key messages that comes out in the movie, which I rather like. So yes, some very interesting themes, vengeance, justice, unmasking, as well as corruption, abuse of power, trauma, healing and hope. There are some positives as well in terms of not just the darkness, but the coming out into the light theme. And talking of coming out into the light, we're going to be profiling the Batman and the Riddler in the next part of this fascinating interview with Umberto Gonzalez. I
1: can't wait. I only wanted to see this movie with you because I knew this was going to be a psychological psychological crime thriller and the likes of Seven and stuff. It's in your wheelhouse. So you guys are very lucky because I've been... I've been asking her, and I told her, hey, why don't you do a behavioral profile on Bruce Wayne and Edward Nigma? And that's what you guys are going to get next week. I don't even know it yet, and I live with her. So. <laughs> and you keep asking me
2: all the time, every morning. I do. So what do you think about this, when Bruce Wayne does such and such? And what do you think about when the Batman, what would you say that he is? And I've been keeping my cards close to my chest, as we say in the UK, or close to my vest, as they say in the US. <laughs> yes. Keeping everyone guessing. And I wanted to see the movie for a second time. Umbe's super jealous of that.
1: You have seen a Batman movie more than me, officially.
2: It was amazing. So
1: I get a get-out-of-jail-free card. I could go to an IMAX screening when it's out or when it happens again.
2: Oh, yeah. But I wanted to go back and, (laughs) I mean... Being privileged and very honoured, actually, to go and have the ability to do that, and particularly being Rafi's mum, that takes up a lot of my time raffying. but I wanted to go back and look at some of the crime scene assessments again and just really think about the Bruce Wayne and, and his character and how it evolves as well as the Batman and just get more into the profiling and investigative side. And the one thing I will say about the investigation, I mean, I love the fact that it's an investigative movie, But what's done quite well is the twists and the turns, but there are moments in the crime scene that for me are just a tiny bit disappointing, where you've got hundreds of people walking through crime scenes without masks, without the booties on, without any protective gear, and even the commissioner comes trundling in at one point, shouting the odds, and a CSI then comes up to take a picture... And she hasn't got her mask on, it's round her neck. There's all these kind of little things that I would have liked to have tightened up if I were the technical advisor, for example. Because other things are done really well. And it's just a great shame that Matt Reeves didn't think about the technical side when he was plotting up how to do all of this.
1: Creative license, darling. I'm pretty sure he was busy with a million other things that he had to get right. I think he did okay. I mean, yeah, yes, you being the crime scene nerd that you are, yes, I'm, I'm sure you would find issue with some things or so, but I think they got it right in, in, in the second, third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth crime
2: scenes well i would take issue with that i think a lot of my listeners would as well you know with the advent of csi and certainly the true crime genre people are real geeks and nerds and very hot on this stuff and for me you know hollywood there's no real excuse not to be quite frankly just give someone like me a call and (laughs) we would be very happy to oblige so anyway that's it for now and i hope you'll join us back for part two of profiling the batman and the riddler And I should just say a very special thanks to my very special guest, Umberto Gonzalez, for jumping in to the Intel SAR with me and crime analysts. So thank you very much, Umbe.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: So until next time, remember, be curious, ask questions, and always trust your instinct. Here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to Crime Analyst or on the website www.crime-analyst.com. It really helps others find me and also helps with the ratings. Crime Analyst is written, produced, and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio cover art and graphics by chris raybottom at syndicate and music by kill our
0: bodies come in different shapes and sizes so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too